Hi, the first reading tonight is from Matthew, found on page 831 of your Bibles. It's chapter 6, starting at verse 5, going through to verse 15. It's 831. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door and pray to your father who is unseen. Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. The second reading is 1 Kings chapter 18, verses 22. It's on page 305 of your Bibles. Then Elijah said to them, I am the only one of the Lord's prophets left, but Baal has 450 prophets. Get two bulls for us. Let Baal's prophets choose one for themselves, and let them cut it into pieces and put it on the wood, but not set fire to it. I will prepare the other bull and put it on the wood, but not set fire to it. Then you call on the name of your God, and I will call on the name of the Lord, the God who answers by fire. He is God. Then all the people said, what you say is good. Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, choose one of the bulls and prepare it first, since there are so many of you. Call on the name of your God, but do not light the fire. So they took the bull given them and prepared it. Then they called on the name of Baal from morning till noon. Baal, answer us, they shouted. But there was no response. No one answered. And they danced around the altar they had made. At noon, Elijah began to taunt them. Shout louder, he said. Surely he is a god. Perhaps he is deep in thought, or busy, or traveling. Maybe he is sleeping and must be awakened. So they shouted louder and slashed themselves with swords and spears, as was their custom, until their blood flowed. Midday passed, and they continued their frantic prophesying until the time for the evening sacrifice. But there was no response, no one answered, no one paid attention. Then Elijah said to all the people, come here to me. They came to him and he repaired the altar of the Lord, which had been torn down. Elijah took 12 stones, one for each of the tribes descended from Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord had come, saying, your name shall be Israel. With the stones, he built an altar in the name of the Lord, and he dug a trench around it large enough to hold two seers of seed. 
He arranged the wood, cut the bull into pieces, and laid it on the wood. Then he said to them, Fill four large jars with water and pour it on the offering and on the wood. Do it again, he said, and they did it again. Do it a third time, he ordered, and they did, the, did it the third time. The water ran, down, ran around the altar and even filled the trench. At the time of, the, of sacrifice, the prophet Elijah stepped forward and prayed, Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known today that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and have done all these things at your command. Answer me, Lord, answer me, so these people will know that you, Lord, are God and that you are turning their hearts back again. Then the fire of the Lord fell and burned up the sacrifice, the wood, the stones, and the soil, and also licked up the water in the trench. When all the people saw this, they fell prostrate and cried, The Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. Then Elijah commanded them, Seize the prophets of Baal. Don't let anyone get away. They seized them, and Elijah had them brought down to Kishon Valley and slaughtered there. And Elijah said to Ahab, Go, eat and drink, for there is the sound of a heavy rain. So Ahab went off to eat and drink. But Elijah climbed to the top of Carmel, bent down to the ground, and put his face between his knees. Go and look toward the sea, he told his servant. And he went up and looked. There is nothing there, he said. Seven times Elijah said, Go back. The seventh time the servant reported, A cloud as small as a man's hand is rising from the sea. So Elijah said, Go and tell Ahab, Hitch up your chariot and go down before the rain stops you. Meanwhile, the sky grew black with clouds, the wind rose, a heavy rain started falling, and Ahab rode off to Jezreel. The power of the Lord came on Elijah, and tucking his cloak into his belt, he ran ahead of Ahab all the way to Jezreel. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Carol. Let me have my welcome. My name is Paul. I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, do you want to keep your Bibles open at 1 Kings chapter 18? If you just joined us, uh, 2020 is the year of enjoying God. That's our theme for the whole year. So we want, to, we want you personally to have a deeper, more intimate relationship with God. Uh, not just know about him, but experience him, delight in him, appreciate him. Uh, last week we looked at enjoying God through his word and we looked at Psalm 119 and we learned it through the word. Uh, it is sin-stopping, it is comfort-channeling, it is guidance-giving, it is praise-producing. Uh, next week, we're looking at enjoying God through his people, through the church. And today, we're looking at the great gift of prayer, enjoying God through prayer. In his excellent book, The Prayer and Life, Paul Miller writes this. Uh, God wants us to come to him empty-handed, weary and heavy laden. Instinctively, we want to get rid of our helplessness before we come to God in prayer. But prayer is bringing all your helplessness to Jesus. I love that quote. It's just saying that prayer is your utter helpless dependence on an extraordinary God. Don't pretend. Get rid of all your self-control just lay yourself before him and intercede and plead and pray. J.C. Ra wrote this, uh, Prayer is the simplest of acts. 
It's simply speaking to God. It needs neither learning nor wisdom nor book knowledge to begin it. But no time is so well spent in every day as that which we spend upon our knees. Our prayers may be weak, stammering and poor in our eyes. But if they come from a right heart, God understands them and such prayers are his delight. Do you believe that? That the best time you could spend every day is the time that you spend on your knees before your heavenly father. He doesn't care the words that you use. He's not interested in these fancy evangelical jargon. He just wants real, authentic, heartfelt prayers. When it comes to prayer, I hope you know it is the most wonderful gift that you get to speak to your creator. That you get to cry out to him, you get to plead to him, you get to praise him, you, you get to bring before him all your, all your blessings and all your burdens, all your desires and all your dreams. Whatever's on your mind, whatever's on your heart, you just get to pour that out to God. Someone said that a man is what he is on his knees before God and no more. That time, your secret place with God is a great indication of your soul. Prayer is an extraordinary gift. And yet we all struggle to pray, don't we? Every single person in this room today struggles to pray. We all know that we should pray more. We all know that we're not enjoying God as we could because of our lack of prayer. And so I thought I could preach a a deep theological sermon on all the biblical words for prayer, but that would just leave me with lots of jargon and head knowledge. I thought I could give you a great motivational sermon about your laziness and your self-discipline or your priorities, but that would leave you more self-reliant. And then I thought I could uh, pick a great men and women of prayer who got up at 5am and prayed for three hours before work but that would leave you despondent. And then I thought, oh, prayer is a great subject to press all the right buttons so you all leave here feeling guilty, but nothing would change. So I decided today to to preach on a man of prayer whose name is Elijah. And I've chosen him because the New Testament holds him up as a model and a great motivation for prayer. James 5 writes this, James 5, verses 16 and 17. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Elijah was a human being, even as we are, yet he prayed earnestly. I love that verse. James is not saying that if you are righteous enough and good enough, then your prayers will be effective. He's not saying that. He's saying that Elijah was just another human being. He's just a man. There's nothing special about Elijah. But he prayed. He loved to pray. He knew he was righteous. He knew he was right with God. He knew he was loved by God and he too loved God. And because of that, he just loved to pray. I want to read about the Elijah's life. 1 Kings 17 to 19 are great chapters to read. He had an extraordinary life. 
Chapter 17, God provided ravens to bring Elijah food and then he prays for food and God provides a widow who keeps on providing this miraculous oil and flour every day. And then when Elijah prays, the widow's son is raised from the dead. And when you come to the New Testament, Elijah is there alongside Moses at the transfiguration of Jesus. So Elijah was an extraordinary man. But the key thing is that he's just another human being. There's nothing special about him. The gift that he had been given, the gift of prayer, is the same gift that you have been given. And when we pray, our prayers are powerful and they're effective. God answers prayers, sometimes in the most extraordinary ways. In in chapter 19 of 1 Kings, Elijah's having a bit of a whinge to God and says, God, I've had enough. Take my life from me. That's his prayer. And God answers that prayer by sending an angel, some bread and some water and a good night's sleep to give him some perspective. I love that. So he's just a human being living in a world that mocks God, but he loves to pray. So let me ask you, do you love to pray? Do you long for your prayer lives to be more intimate and more powerful and more effective it's a bit of a vicious circle, you know. The, the more that you delight in prayer, the more, the more close to God you feel, and the closer to God you feel, the more you want to talk to him. And if you're sitting here today thinking, I don't pray at all, my question is, do you have that real relationship with God? Two halves to the sermon this morning, this afternoon. The God that Elijah believed in and in the way that he prayed. This is the God that Elijah believed in. And my question is, do you believe in this God? He he believed in God's presence. He believed that he could actually approach the holy, omnipotent, awesome, majestic, glorious God. He could come into his very presence. What's the first thing Elijah does? Look at verse 30. Elijah said to all the people, come here. And they came to Elijah, and Elijah repaired the altar of the Lord, which had been torn down. Now, please don't skip over that verse. It's so significant. At this point in history, the altar has been torn down. There is no altar. And if there is no altar, you have no access to God. If there's no altar, you can't offer sacrifices. If there's no sacrifices, there's no forgiveness and God's wrath cannot be appeased. You need an altar to enter into the presence of God. And Elijah took these stones, all 12 stones, one for each tribe. And verse 32 tells us he built an altar in the name of the Lord. He wants to come into the presence of Yahweh. Now, the link to us is so obvious, isn't it? That you and I come into the presence of God, not through an altar, because Jesus Christ was that altar, not through a sacrifice, because Jesus Christ was that sacrifice. We can enter the most holy place through the blood of Jesus by this new and living way. We have boldness to approach the throne of grace with confidence Do you know that? That you can talk to God anytime, any place, anywhere. You can walk into his presence and he's always, always listening. Remember President Obama talking about his two daughters, Sasha and Malia? I love this. He said this. 
the most important thing for me as a father was that my daughters know that I was always there for them at any time. I was their dad whenever and whatever they wanted to talk about, they had absolute access to me. Think about Elijah, that he, when he prayed, he used words like almighty God, sovereign God, Lord, master. And when we pray, what do we say? What does the Lord's Prayer start with? Tell me. Our Father in heaven. Well, we get to approach the holy, awesome, majestic God, not just as the sovereign Lord and the almighty creator, but as our Father. Through the blood of Jesus Christ, you've been made a child of God. You're a son of God. You're a daughter of God. You can have access to God as your Father. Incredible privilege. You talk to a father who cares and a father who knows and a father who listens. You don't need to shout at God in prayer. You don't have to keep on babbling on, trying to get his attention. He's always there, always listening. I love the humour in this text. The so-called gods of the Baals. Verse 37, shout louder, says Elijah. Maybe... Your God is deep in thought or busy or travelling. Maybe he's sleeping and must be awakened. It's this crazy dancing and groaning and shouting and self-harming, trying to rouse the attention of their so-called gods. But the moment you come to your God in prayer, his ears are open, his eyes are open, he's longing to listen. It's not that God doesn't listen is that we can't be bothered to talk to him. That's the attitude. He's always there for you. Number two, he believes in the power of God. I love all the drama in this passage that Elijah says, drench the wood with water, not once, not twice, but three times, and there are no fire lighters under this wood. When fire comes down to burn up the wood and consume the wood, that's an extraordinary inexplicable power of God. And the irony in this chapter is that the so-called God of the bars are supposed to be the God of fire and the God of thunder and the God of power, but they are weak and impotent. But our God is the all-powerful, omnipotent God who is able to do more than you ask or even imagine. And I know that we sing about that, we're good at singing songs, you know, God is able, he will never fail us and no power can stand against him. We're good at singing about it, we're good at quoting verses of scripture like uh, he can do immeasurably more than we ask or imagine. We, we say it and we sing it, but I don't think we believe it. And let me tell you why. Because when I listen to our prayers, up front or in our prayer meeting, our prayers are puny. And our prayers are safe. And our prayers are so small. Or our prayers are basically asking God just to rubber stamp the plans that we've already made. 
But if you sit here today and you believe in a God who, who is all-powerful, a God who can bring manna from heaven to feed us, the God who can bring water to a rock to, th- to, to quench our thirst, the God who can even raise the dead, that same power that raised Christ from the dead is living in you. If you believe in that all-powerful God, then why don't you pray big prayers? Why don't we pray prayers that just blow our minds thinking, this is impossible, but nothing is impossible for God. And I wonder what God could do in this church if we started to pray big prayers to an all-powerful God. So he believed in a God who was present. He believed in the God who was powerful. He believed in the God who kept his promises. So the, the reason that Elijah prayed so well is that he knew what God had promised him. So back in chapter 17, verse 1, God promised there would be no rain, and there was no rain. When you come to chapter 18, verse 1, God had promised there would be rain again, and that's why Elijah is praying for rain. He's just saying, God, you have promised this, so I'm taking you at your word, I'm claiming that promise, and I'm praying in that promise. See, God's word is full of promises. God's word is full of promises of what God will do for us and can do for us if only we would take him at his word. Promises like he will never leave us, never forsake us. Promises like he will provide for all our needs, not our wants. He will strengthen us when we are weak. He will give us peace that passes all understanding. And the more you know God's word, the more you know God's promises, the more rich your prayer life will become. If you want a shallow prayer life, if you want a shallow prayer life, then don't bother learning the promises of God. But go home tonight, read your Bibles. Google's made it easier. Just Google promises of God and write them out by hand and claim them and pray in the word, pray in those promises. It's what the Lord's Prayer tells us to do. Your will be done. What is God's will? He's, He's told us what his will is. It's written here in the scriptures. Know his will and pray in his promises. Number four, he believed in the God who provides. Elijah prayed that God would provide his daily bread. And in 1 Kings chapter 17, the way that God provides is quite extraordinary. Each day, miraculously, this widow produces oil and flour, just enough to make bread for another day. And the Lord's Prayer, Jesus invites us to pray the same thing. There's a phrase in the Lord's Prayer that every time I say it, I kind of gulp. Give us today our daily bread. Give us today our daily bread. But we don't really need to pray that, do we? Because we've got fridges full of food and we've got wardrobes full of clothes and you've got banks full of money. You don't need to pray daily for God to provide, do you? Of course you do. Everything that you have got, the food on your plate, the clothes on your back, the roof over your head, is because God has provided for you. And Elijah believed in a God who would meet his every need. God sees the need, God provides for the needs one day at a time. That daily dependence on God. Remember the story that I shared before Christmas about the the man who had gone into full-time ministry? He had four kids and not a lot of money. 
Around the dinner table every night, they were encouraged to pray for their needs. And Timmy, the youngest child, said, do you think I could pray for a new shirt? And mum said, of course you can pray for a new shirt. God knows what you need. So Timmy prays, dear God, could you please give me a new shirt? And mum adds, size seven, please. And day by day, week by week, they're praying around the table, please give me a new shirt, size seven, please. And nothing happened. Until one day in July, a Christian businessman phoned up and said, oh, we've just done our stock take. Got a whole lot of spare shirts here. And I thought of your family, would you like some shirts? And the mum said, oh, what size are they? And the man said, oh, size seven. <laughs> oh, we'd love them. Now, what does mum do? Put them in the drawer and just pretend it's never happened. No, it's dinner time and they're praying around the dinner table and Tim is saying, dear God, please give me a new shirt, size seven, please. And mum says, we can stop praying now because God has answered our prayer. And she produces a size seven shirt and Tim is going, wow. And then a second one and a third one and a fourth one and 12 size seven shirts are piled up on the table. And Timmy is thinking, what? Oh, my God doesn't provide. My God is stingy. My God doesn't hear my prayers. No, Timmy is saying, wow, my God is incredible. He gives me more than I ask or imagine for. And the point is this, that we have a good, good father who knows what we need and knows what we want and is more than capable of answering our prayers. We need food, so pray for it. We need forgiveness. Pray for that. It's been given us through Christ. We need protection. What's that line in the Lord's Prayer? Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Do you pray that every day? Do you recognise that every day you need God to provide protection for you because the devil is rolling around, rolling around like a, roaming around like a, a roaring lion? The devil longs to see you fall and he, you know that you are weak and temptable. And so we need to pray, God, protect me today because the battle is real. So do you believe in this God who can provide for your every need, material, emotional and spiritual? So is that the God that you pray to? He's with you. He is powerful. He keeps his word and he provides in abundance. And again, the more you know God like this, the more you will actually pray to him. If you want a prayerless life, don't bother to get to know God any better. But if you really believe you have total access to him, he can do more than you ask or imagine, he keeps his word and he provides in abundance, then of course you'll spend time with him. So how do you pray? Why do you pray? Because God is present and powerful and provides and promises. How do you pray? A few words. You pray humbly. That's the attitude on your knees before God, entirely dependent on him. Look at verse 42. So Ahab, oh, he went off to eat and drink. He just thought about his material and physical needs. But Elijah, verse 42 Elijah climbed a mountain. Elijah climbed to the top of Mount Carmel. And when he got there, he bent down to the ground 
and put his face between his knees. Isn't that beautiful? Just like the Lord Jesus Christ went onto a mountainside to pray, Elijah knew he needed time alone with his God interceding. But his posture is important. Now, the Bible says you can pray with all kinds of postures, standing, lying prostrate, with hands raised. It's less about the posture. But this attitude of dependence is so important. He, he bends down to the ground and puts his face between his knees. It looks something like this. He's, he's on his knees and he's just doing this. And when I'm doing this, I'm just saying, I am a nobody and I am weak and I am impotent and yet you, God, are strong. I'm just crying out to the God of this universe. And remember, Elijah is a leader. He's the boss. He's used to bossing people around. But when he comes to God, he doesn't tell God what to do. He humbly, quietly, secretly just gets on his knees. Is that you? You've got your private place of prayer. Remember what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6? When you pray, don't pray publicly out loud so everyone can hear you boasting on the street corner. When you pray, close the door. Your private secret place of prayer, it's just you and God on your knees before him. So you pray humbly, you pray specifically. Elijah knew exactly what he wanted, so he prayed, verses 36 and 37. He wanted God's name to be honoured and God's name to be known. He wanted fire to come to, to burn up the wood. Down in verse 42, he's praying for rain to end the drought. And I love that about Elijah. He's not into this wishy-washy prayers or general vague prayers. It's a bit like when I go to Woolworths to do the shopping and my wife, Rach, might write a shopping list and she put on the shopping list, apples. And I can guarantee I'll be on my iPhone in Woolworths saying, hey, Rach, do you want uh, red apples or green apples? And then five minutes later, do you want big ones or small ones? Do you want a dozen of them or do you want two of them? If she'd just written on a shopping list six red apples, I know exactly what, what I'm supposed to go and buy. But sometimes our prayer lives are so like that, they're so vague. Let me give you some examples. You're in your private place of prayer and you say, Oh, dear Lord, please bless my family today. What does that mean? Why don't you actually tell him what you want? Why don't you pray, as I'm praying right now, dear, dear Lord, you know that Sam, has his arm hasn't worked now for a year. Lord, please heal that arm and please give him resilience in this time of trial. Lord, you know that Elijah's starting school in, in three weeks' time and Lord, I, I beg of you that you just give him some friends in that first day at school. Be specific. Or we pray general prayers like, God be with me today. Well, God's already promised me with you. What exactly do you want God to be with you for? When you pray, pray things like, God, I've got that really hard meeting at 10 o'clock with that hard conversation. I need your spirit to give me the words to say at that moment. God, I'm feeling really alone today. So would you show that you're with me by bringing just a friend into my life or a word in season? Do you ever pray specifically like that? For this church, I am praying specifically for 100 new believers this year. 
Every day, pray for people to come to Christ. And for this year, I'm praying specifically for my non-Christian brother, Mark, that he would come to Christ this year. So when you pray, pray humbly, but pray specifically. And then pray earnestly. That's the word used in James 5, that Elijah prayed earnestly. And that word earnest, it means a, a heartfelt, persistent prayer life. A heartfelt, persistent prayer life. Is that you? Elijah kept on praying. You see that in verses 43 and 44. He's on the mountain praying for rain. Verse 43, go and look towards the sea. There's nothing there. So Elijah kept on praying. And then there's nothing there. He kept on praying. There's nothing there. Seven times. Elijah said, now go back and look. It was only on the seventh time that the servant reported that the rain was coming, the rain was coming. So Elijah kept on praying earnestly and persistently. I love this quote. I'm starting to see there's a difference between saying my prayers and honest, heartfelt praying. Both can sound the same on the outside. But the former, that is just, just saying our prayers, is often motivated by obligation or by guilt. Honest, heartfelt praying is motivated by the conviction that I'm completely helpless to do life on my own and I need the grace and power of God in my life. I'm not saying we badger God till we get what we want, but that persistent, earnest prayer. And when you pray constantly, even if God doesn't give you what you want or what you long for, it actually changes you because you become more dependent on him and more in love with him. Very quickly, he prayed expectantly. When Elijah prayed, he expected God to answer. Look at verse 41. You might have missed it. There's been no rain for years. There's been a drought in the land. Elijah says to Ahab, go eat and drink, for there's a sound of a heavy rain. No, there's not. There hasn't been a drop of rain in sight for years. But Elijah just prays in the promises of God and says, God has told me there will be rain, so I'm claiming that promise. And God brings rain, verse 44. A cloud as, as small as a man's hand is rising from the sea. From little things, big things grow. From that little cloud, God starts to answer Elijah's prayer until the land is flooded with rain. And I don't, I don't know what you're asking for at the moment, but pray with expectation that God can, God is able. And then pray for the glory of God, pray evangelistically, pray that people would see Christ through your prayer life. That was Elijah's prayer, verses 36 and 37. Answer me, Lord, answer me, so these people will know that you are Lord. When we pray, we don't want people to say, wow, Paul is a great prayer. We want people to say, wow, Paul's God is an, is an incredible God. One of the reasons we pray is that so God is glorified and God is honoured. You may be sitting here today thinking, I don't have much. I don't have many gifts, don't have many talents. You do. You have the gift of prayer. It's extraordinary. A man came to Hudson Taylor once and said that he longed to be a missionary 
But he said this, I can't be a missionary. I have no talents. I can't speak well. I can't direct well. I have no executive ability. The only thing I can do is to pray. And Hudson Taylor said this, man, can you pray? Can you talk to the Lord? Do you have entrance into heaven? What we need more than preachers and more than executive and bosses on the mission field is people who can pray. And so Hudson Taylor sent out that man in the mission field. And they tell how you could hear that man's voice in his house as he's on his knees, pouring out his soul to God and weeping before the Lord and claiming the people for Christ. And when the people heard this man was a prayer, they came to him in their droves and asked that man to pray. And can I say what the church needs is not more preachers and not more executives, not more organisation, but more prayer. More men and women who really believe that God hears and is able to answer our prayers. So all of us here who are Christians have got an extraordinary gift, the gift of prayer. If you want to enjoy God more, more times on our knees, more times on our knees, pouring out our hearts to him, because he is present, he is powerful, he does provide, and he keeps his promises. I'm going to give you space to pray by yourself now and then James will come and lead us in prayer.